0: I'm Justin Lesko, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Brown Belt and former pro MMA fighter. If I sound a little different today, it's because we moved and I'm still configuring the new studio where we live now if i'm a great audio engineer then everything should sound exactly the same if it sounds different well i don't see you offering to help me so yeah and yes i could just edit this part out when i'm working on the episode and hearing that it sounds fine but then you wouldn't get this very fun rant that i'm going on speaking of rants i have to tell you how much cooler than you steve torres is because he took advantage of the black friday special and subscribed to us on patreon by the way steve please send me your mailing address so i can send you your free shirt And, now that I've used the show to send a personal message to one single person, I figured for the first episode in a new studio, why not talk about the most controversial thing ever discussed on this program, transgender athletes in combat sports. There's been a few bits of news recently about transgender athletes and more specifically transgender athletes in MMA and in the Olympics. So today we're going to look at some rule changes that were made, what's fair and what isn't fair and how we might see some of these new rules from the Olympics impacting jujitsu. Now we're talking about rules and news today, and it's definitely not a rule that you should wear Epic roll gear, but you will make news when you show up to train looking as good as you will in your new Epic roll gear. And as far as segues go, that's probably one of the worst I've ever done. Epic roll has everything you need for jujitsu, gi's, rash guards, shorts, hoodies, joggers, belts, everything you could ever want to wear on or off the mats, Epic roll has you covered. Their stuff is extremely high quality without being extremely expensive. And you can take 15% off already affordable prices when you use the coupon code podcast15 at epicrollbjj.com. It's apparel by grapplers for grapplers, so don't waste your money on more stuff that was not designed for our sport. Head over to EpicRollBJJ.com and use the code PODCAST15 to get 15% off your order, and make sure you follow Epic Roll on Instagram at EpicRollBJJ, and tag them when you wear your new stuff, they might just give you a shout out. EpicRollBJJ.com, coupon code PODCAST15. Now, this is going to get controversial, let's dive right into it. This topic is something that I've gone back and forth on a lot, whether or not I wanted to talk about it on the show. This is a really controversial thing and people have very strong opinions and I have been hesitant about wading into these waters, But with a few stories recently, and I'm going to get into all of that, I think it's important that this is something we talk about. We've seen in the past MMA fighters that have been in the process of transitioning and have identified as female, but were assigned male at birth. And I'm going to talk about those cases too, but was really the reason behind this episode was the news that you may or may not have seen from the IOC, the International Olympic Committee. Earlier this month, the IOC announced that they will no longer be conducting hormone-level monitoring for trans athletes and that they will not be doing any gender-confirming testing. This means that all athletes are free to compete in whatever gender classification that they identify with, regardless of hormone levels or anatomy. On one hand, the LGBTQ community views this as progress. Chris Mosier was the first out trans athlete to compete on a U.S. national team He said the new IOC framework makes clear that no athlete has an inherent advantage and moves away from eligibility criteria focused on testosterone levels, a practice that caused harmful and abusive practices such as invasive physical examinations and sex testing. Which, yeah, probably best that we're not physically examining athletes' genitals to see if they align with their gender identity. On the other hand, critics of this new rule from the IOC say that this essentially kills women's sports. This is from Dr. Nicola Williams, who is the director of Fair Play for Women, who is critical of both the IOC's previous rule and this current rule. The IOC have, have created a mess in women's sport. You know, back in 2015, they did say that fairness mattered to women and that transgender women did have an advantage. Um, and their solution was to reduce testosterone. That was a a bad solution. It was a fake fix, really. Um, And despite no evidence, they instituted that policy. The purpose of women's sport is to give female people, people who don't have the advantage of a male body, a chance to win and um, compete fairly. And so what they've now said is that anyone who's born male but simply identifies as a woman can play in the women's category. So the women's category now becomes an identity-based category. I think it's pretty widely accepted and not really debated whether or not men have a physical advantage over women in sports. And that's why we have a women's category because if men and women competed against each other, women wouldn't win i don't think that's a controversial statement prior to this new rule the ioc starting in 2015 required trans athletes to have a testosterone level below a certain point with the reason being they want to mitigate any advantage that is gained by having the same testosterone level as a male athlete The argument here is obviously the new rules the IOC puts forth allows anyone to compete in the female category, so long as they identify as female, and that is the problem people have with it. Someone with all the physical advantages of a men's competitor can compete in the women's category. So you might be saying to yourself at this point, hey Justin, you idiot, you know BJJ isn't in the Olympics, to which I would reply. That's not nice and i do know that and we did a whole episode about whether it should be or shouldn't be but do you know what is in the olympics combat sports boxing is in judo is in wrestling is in karate and taekwondo are in too but they suck but they're in so these new rules allow someone who identifies as female to compete in the female division in boxing or wrestling or judo with no limitations on the advantages they bring with them into those divisions. You may remember from earlier this year at the Olympics in Tokyo, the New Zealand weightlifter, Laurel Hubbard, who had a lot of controversy around her coming into the games and she ultimately competed and was eliminated pretty quickly. There were the same arguments around her that are made about every trans athlete, that people say you gain an advantage in strength and size and reaction time and all of the things that we think about making someone a good athlete when you go through puberty as a man and that by simply limiting testosterone in adulthood, you don't offset those advantages. But Laurel Hubbard wasn't punching people in the face. If Laurel Hubbard was a boxer in the Olympic games and was competing against women who were assigned female at birth, would that have been fair? Which brings me to MMA. The first openly trans MMA fighter was Fallon Fox who made her pro MMA debut in 2012. And this was the first time people discussed the issue of someone who was assigned male at birth who was now fighting in the women's division. All of these same questions we just talked about with Laurel Hubbard came up and a lot of people were very, very, very against Fallon Fox being licensed to fight, especially after she fought Tamika Brentz and fractured her skull. Brent said following the fight, quote, I fought a lot of women and have never felt the strength that I felt in a fight as I did last night. I can't answer whether it's because she was born a man or not, because I'm not a doctor. I can only say I've never felt so overpowered ever in my life, and I am an abnormally strong female in my own right, end quote. This was the first time in MMA we saw this situation play out, and the overwhelming reaction was negative. Most people were very opposed to Fallon Fox being licensed to fight. It all died down because she stopped fighting in 2014, and then this controversy was drummed up again earlier this year when Alana McLaughlin, an openly transgender fighter, won her MMA debut. The people most against McLaughlin fighting point to her as the example of the massive advantages that are to be gained by going through puberty as a male and then transitioning later in life once those advantages are permanent, despite how hormones are regulated before the fight. She served in the army and became a special forces medical sergeant. McLaughlin surgically transitioned in 2016 when she was 33 years old. Prior to her fight, she completed medical testing, including the monitoring of her hormones, and she was sanctioned to fight in Florida. And one can see the argument that three decades of physical development as a male and time in the Army Special Forces contributed to a size and strength advantage. I really wanted to know what advantage, if any, trans women retain after transitioning. And the information is murky at best you can google trans athlete advantage and you can find one article talking about how unfair the advantage is and the next article says there's literally no advantage and i've also noticed that it depends on who is doing the reporting conservative leaning outlets all say how terrible it is that trans athletes can compete and left leaning outlets say there's no advantage whatsoever conservatives point to fallon fox and alana mclaughlin Liberals point to Laurel Hubbard's swift elimination from competition as evidence there isn't much of an advantage. I'm also not a doctor, shockingly, but I'm also not just going to go with blah blah podcast says they have an advantage or oh, Joe Rogan said she has more bone density because she went through male puberty so that makes her a better fighter. I wanted to actually look at what the research shows. There was an NBC News article about a study published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine that reviewed trans women and cisgender women in the Air Force, and it did see a small advantage for trans women in run times and push-ups and sit-ups, but that study also only included 46 transgender women, not a huge sample size. If someone identifies as female and passes the test required by the state board where they are competing, I'd like to assume everything is fair, but I'd also like to assume the Olympics are fair, and in the 2015 rule, trans women could have the same level of testosterone as an average man. And now the Olympics, it's not testing testosterone at all. I don't know if state athletic commissions will go to the point of licensing female fights where one combatant identifies as female, but I also never thought the Olympics would do that either. And I am aware that what I just said sounds very similar to a slippery slope argument. And a slippery slope argument is a really, really terrible argument to make. But I don't know. I I guess the IOC just surprised me. For jiu-jitsu, let's be honest. Every male competitor at the highest level is on steroids. Okay, maybe not every. But most? A lot? 90%? 60%? I'm going to stick with a lot. The biggest events in the world aren't flagging guys who are barely hiding what they're doing. I doubt they're running comprehensive hormone screenings on female competitors to verify their hormones are in line with an average woman. If a trans woman competes at IBJJF Worlds and someone complains, what will the IBJJF do? I don't know. I tried to find something from the IBJJF about trans athletes, but I can't find anything. Has that situation ever happened? I'm genuinely asking because I don't know for me if i show up to a tournament and someone seems like they're obviously juiced out of their mind i I pretty much know i just have to compete against them and that's that there's not really anything i can do about it it is what it is if there's a woman competing and someone thinks she's a trans woman are they going to go to the refs and ask that her hormones be tested i can't really see that happening but there are a lot of karens out there is a man going to claim that he identifies as a woman just to compete in the women's division I also doubt that, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it happens. This is an issue that I'm very glad I'm not responsible for figuring out a solution. It seems the rights of two different groups are not mutually compatible. Cisgender women wanna compete, knowing that there is no advantage being had over them by trans women, which there needs to be more research into that potential advantage, I think. Trans women just want a fair chance to compete against the other members of the gender that they identify with. And it seems the transgender population is much too small to just say, just create a transgender category. How do we resolve this? I I really don't know. But I have a feeling this issue is a long way from being settled. Thank you all for listening. I hope you found this episode interesting. If you did enjoy it, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you use to listen to the show. And if you want to be cool like Steve Torres and support the show, the link for our Patreon is below where you can get tons of bonus content and be just a really cool person. Thanks again for listening. I will see you all in the next episode.